Welcome to Whisking It All with your host, Angelus Pizzito, co-founder of Whisk.ai, a food and beverage intelligence platform. We're going to be interviewing hospitality professionals around the world to really understand how they do what they do. From chefs to owners, mixologists to bar managers, you name it, we want to provide you guys with a ton of value, anything hospitality We're here today with Josh Wagner, who's a hospitality specialist, has opened dozens of restaurants, bars, and hotels, currently owner of a few bars, and consulting for a few projects. Josh, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Angelo. It's good to see you. Good to, good to hear your voice. Yeah, it's good to see you as well. It's always fun to, to chat with you. To this day, I haven't met someone who doesn't speak positively about you, so it's great to connect with you. I think everyone in the industry loves Josh and speaks highly about Josh. So I'm happy to have you on the show and share some of your 20 years of experience with our listeners. You just made me feel warm and fuzzy to start this all off. Yeah. You're going to put me in a good mood for this conversation, Angelo. Awesome. That's what I like to hear. So one of the first ways we like to start off is just to get a sense of how you got into hospitality in the first place. Just back in the day, what first got you into the hospitality scene? Oh, wow. So I got to take that back to high school. I grew up in New York City and I always had this desire to bring people together in a fun setting and enjoy each other's company. So I found myself as a 15, 16 year old kid getting together with friends and finding places in New York City that would allow a bunch of underage kids to take over their venues. And next thing I know, I was a promoter in the New York City late teen nightlife scene in the mid late 90s. And yeah, I just had this true joy of creating unique experiences to bring friends into a setting to all create some fun memories together. So I started in high school, which wow. then led to going into college. I went to University of Wisconsin, go Badgers, and wound up forming a company there with three of my buddies. And next thing we knew, we were throwing concerts in the Midwest and New Year's parties in a couple of different cities and spring break packages to Mexico and bringing big hip hop acts and Run DMC and Funkmaster Flex and just Method Man and Red Man to Madison, Wisconsin, <laughs> and really just started bringing a bunch of people together and getting organized about it and starting to understand. It went from phone calls and flyering in the streets to text messaging and you know that which led to emails and then which led to where we are yeah. today. But really starting pounding the streets and throwing parties and trying to create stuff that we really enjoyed going to. I was a kid of New York City mid-90s hip hop and bringing those guys out to college, which was awesome and really getting... This was, you know, pre big music festivals every weekend and really trying to create really cool settings for our friends to go enjoy and more importantly my, me and my friends and it paid off i studied abroad in london also we did a bunch of stuff over there when i was in university and just really took this equation of trying to get a network of people to support each other and i fell into the nightlife promoter scene at a late teens early 20s uh, year and I started off on the promoter side of the whole business. Wow. And so you didn't have any family in a hospitality? No, I never had the aunt or uncle with the restaurant. It was never that way. My father was in broadcasting in his earlier years and he was always a 
consummate gentleman of hosting a table. And I think I was really taken in by just the hospitality side of it all and having people feel good. I really enjoyed from a very early age looking around and seeing people enjoying and not knowing that I helped curate that moment. And I think I probably learned that at a young age around the family dinner table of having guests to the house and seeing them feel good and knowing what my mom and dad were doing behind it to, to make them happy. You know, I caught the bug at an early age. That's awesome. Looking back, there was a point where hospitality was a second job to a certain extent, right? It's like you had a job and then you also worked in hospitality. And that wasn't a great thing. And I think that stigma is changing a lot. And a lot of people are now understanding that, no, you could build a full career and work up the ladder in, in the hospitality scene. But from your perspective, when did you go from, okay, cool, I'm organizing these parties. This is pretty awesome. Building experiences to like, okay, I want to do this full time. Like This is my career now. I think it was a combination of wanting to control the entire environment and understanding to cut a paycheck instead of just receiving one. When you're promoting a place, you don't have ownership. You maybe have it for one night, a, a one-off, and there's certain things you can't control. And I think for me, it was, how can I influence all of this experience? I want to be the boss and not just be someone running around and also... I didn't like the idea of just being the, the person that had to, to fill the venue. I wanted to be involved with the guest experience from front to end, from the anticipatory service, the hello to the goodbye, and not just the in-between. So for me, it was, how can I take this? Because I really enjoyed it, and I really didn't want it to just be a seven-night-a-week party thing. I wanted it to be, how can you understand how the business works? So after I finished up college, I moved down to Miami and I enrolled and got my master's in hotel hospitality management. I wanted to really know the business side of it all. I got into the, the, the school side of it. Honestly, anyone who will talk to you that's been in hospitality their whole life, getting a formal degree, and it's not required. It's a business where horizontal does lead to vertical, where you cover your basis and you naturally rise. But for me, it was where can I get more information? And I'm very happy I did it. It was another tool that I could use to put in the tool shed. And I'm very happy I did it. But I also did it simultaneously while working as an intern in a, in a famous hotel and nightclub and was working five, six days a week while going to grad school three days a week. So I was getting an education on all fronts. If anyone is curious about going to get a further education, what's wrong with the degree? So I'm all for that. If you can get it, that's wonderful. And also you can learn any way, shape or form. There's different ways for different people, but I chose both. It's funny, you were talking about the customer experience and we had we had a guest on, on the first episode of Whisking It All. His name's Kevin Demers from Montreal. And it's funny, he gave a, a story about how you can have a perfect night or almost perfect night, let's say at a restaurant. And at the end of it, you go to the parking lot and you have a ticket and all of a sudden your night is ruined. And it may, as we were discussing, we realized that it's crazy how many things have to go right for that total unique experience to happen. And it's from point A to point Z. And so I'm just curious from your perspective, right? Which with so much experience when it comes to building those unique experiences, how do you look at that? And how do you try to manage those expectations, knowing that it's a big, big shoe to fill, so to speak. For me, the first and the last experience are so important. It's how you set the tone. If you can have some anticipatory service, if you can investigate the needs of your guests before they arrive through the door, if you can tick some boxes before they even come in, right. when they do come in, if you are setting the tone in the comfort zone, 
that ticket doesn't matter at the end of the night because it's outside the parking lot and they had a great experience. I think it's, it's how you set the tone. If you sent me out that door and I didn't have a wonderful night and I forgot to pay my parking ticket, I would have said, why didn't someone tell me to park here and the meter's going to go out? But at the end of the night, if I, I think if you set the tone, if you identify the guest needs, if you can really transport them to a place of happiness, the things that suck don't suck anymore. The best nights you've ever had in your life you don't remember the food or drink. You remember who it was with and what the setting was. Things taste better when you're happy. Things are easier to digest when you're having a good time. Things that would normally piss you off are just going to be brushed and shrugged off if you know everything else was great. The tiny little thing that's messing it up, you're not making somebody happy enough that shouldn't frustrate them. I think that you control what you can control. If you get obsessed about everything, you're never going to win. And you have to understand in this business, you can't make every guest happy. So that's just, it is impossible. Like you seriously cannot make every person happy. So as long as you're doing it with an integrity and you're doing it with the right intentions and you're prepared to receive criticism and be able to listen and adjust, I think the majority of the time you'll be able to win. Very well said. One thing that always comes to mind, and I've had this discussion with some people is how do you think technology plays a role in this? And when I say technology, I'm specifically thinking about something like a Yelp or a reviews where all of a sudden there's a lack of, let's say, control to a certain extent where anyone can write anything. And really, how do you manage that customer experience knowing that not everyone has the same weight to a certain extent, right? Like you don't know if somebody went to a restaurant and just had an appetizer and left versus if someone came in and really had a full experience. There's so many unique cases. And so when there's something like Yelp, and I, I don't mean to pick on Yelp, but just a review system, I guess, in general, how do you manage that? Controlling what you can control. I had a great old boss of mine that would say, inspect what you expect. And if you're going to be influenced by something that is completely out of your control and completely out of your influence, don't let it drive you crazy. If you are going to be influencing something, then inspect it and see every way that you can make it work in your favor. Understand how it could show you your weaknesses, respect it and acknowledge it. But technology right now and for the rest of yours and mine lives and anyone who would ever listen to this is going to have people judging it differently and using it for different ways and tools and validations. There are tools that people use I've never even heard of. Is it important to keep up with them and understand the influence of them and understand the impact it has on your business? A hundred percent. But if you try to keep up with all channels, you're going to take away from the productivity of creating a great guest experience to your own standard. So there is this thing when I grew up, it was very much like the guest is always right. And in some respects that still stands, but in other ones it's thrown out the window because when some people just feel as if they can throw a review up on a particular website, don't need to name any, just to yeah. get something from you or just to take advantage of the system, I'm gonna be more concerned with the integrity of my product than I am about person shaming me for something that I don't agree with. I, I am gonna stand up, I will justify it, I will listen to it, I will give them feedback. But also technology can make you waste a tremendous amount of time, or it could literally give you the most incredible tools ever imagined to get you to a better place. So how does technology influence you? I don't know. I think I would first start with how are you using it in your life? What are the things that you wish that you got rid of with it? And the things that are important to you spend more time on. I'm not going to waste my time trying to obsess over every single element. I'm going to focus on the ones I think are important. Really good outlook. And one of the things I wanted to do was get our listeners into maybe the transition from promoter to 
starting to operate your first venue. I'd like to go through a few venues, but I'd love to hear about the first time you went from promoter to getting more involved in an actual hotel, restaurant, or bar on the operational side, on the business side, on the construction side. And I'd love to hear from your point of view, really just any learnings, lessons, things you didn't anticipate. So yeah, our, our listeners can really just get, a, get an idea of what to expect. My first official job in the hospitality world was working at the Shore Club Hotel in Miami Beach at that point, being run by Ian Schrager, Studio 54, the big daddy of all things hotel, hospitality, boutique hotel related. And then my boss and my mentor, my first real boss, his name was Ben Pundle. And Ben was a managing partner there and was Ian's right hand on the property. So I was going right into the heyday of the hotness of the hotel bar where food and beverage drove the hotel. It wasn't about the guest experience in the hotel room. It was about the prime time access to, we had a bar called Sky Bar, where we had a huge outdoor pool area and a garden and a place called The Red Room with Nobu on property and Algo on property. So I got into the business begging for an internship. And my mentality was, my nickname was Eager Beaver to, to Ben because I literally just wanted to learn it all. And I was 22 and I thought I could figure things out. So I asked for as much responsibility as possible. And that transition is, it's a smack in your face, right? There's so many different layers because I was also, you know, I wasn't a freestanding venue. We were in a hotel. So we had to treat every guest as a hotel guest or a potential one. It wasn't having the liberties of being able to have the standards of a, a nightclub and just refuse people because whatever your reason may be. So being able to tread the line between understanding hotel guest experience a random stranger and understanding that there are many repercussions of how you treat people. That was, that was a quick lesson. And then also understanding the financial side of it all, cost of goods and understanding there are $80 towels walking every day by the pool because somebody's leaving their section and these beautiful orange towels are gone. And I can't believe we just lost four grand in towels this month. It's a problem, right? And then yeah. saying, oh my God, this promoter that we're hiring that I used to be in the shoes of just got eight comp bottles and didn't book anyone buying a table, but it's taking credit for a full room in a full nightclub. That was a great venue. I think it was just the, the honest black and white of it all, that it, it wasn't just a party. It wasn't just a fun time. You had to be responsible. You had employees that were looking at you to make decisions and handle problems. When I was a promoter, nothing really mattered build a place up, have a good time and walk out the door and wait for that paycheck to come. This one came with repercussions. So all of a sudden you go from it being a lifestyle to it being a job and lifestyle together. Anybody who thinks that they can enter the hospitality industry from the beginning and be on the operational side or the ownership side, if they don't understand that it's a lifestyle, they're sorely mistaken. And I think a lot of people where there's a bit of a shock sometimes just how much math to a certain extent is required on the business side when you start thinking about plate costing and drink menus. And obviously, there's a lot of art that goes into it as well. And it's that balance between the artistic side and the marketing and sales side. But there's a lot of just pure business. Like at the end of the day, it's we need to make this a profitable business. How do we do that? And understanding costing, understanding inventory, understanding permits, understanding all these things is something I guess that you just get thrown into as you work your way up the ladder. Totally. And you know, it's again, what I was saying earlier, like horizontal leads to vertical. As much as you can learn, you want to get into every element of the business because they all depend on each other. If you're really 
just force blinders in one area, you're not going to appreciate how the trickle-down effect works for that. Everything, every line item means something. And I was grateful to be able to work in a hotel environment for many years of my career because I was able to see a lot of different elements of the hospitality business and not just the, the bar side and the fun side. Like There was a loyalty situation involved. There was repeat guests, customers, heads and beds upstairs meant also consistency of business downstairs and you know also how to program that and understanding that the most valuable guest you can have walk through your door is a great local because their friends will come and ask them where to stay and they're going to want to go to places that they friends tell them to go and stay and hang out and it's many different layers of, of, of the business that if, you, if you're not familiar with the hospitality industry and you think it's easy to go in and buy a drink and order some food and the lighting is right and the music sounds good and the way you're greeted is taken care of the right way and how your check is dropped and your plate is picked up. These are all things that are, are to be considered. Once you catch an eye for those things, it's hard to go out and have a calm night without paying attention to all the details around you. I can only imagine. And so from your point of view, I'm just thinking about it. You went from promoter, all about the customer experience, building that up. I want to take it a step further. Like you said, became that eager beaver, working your way up in the hotel life. What did the next step for you look like after working uh, at 22 years old at that specific hotel in Miami? What was the next transition for you, the next challenge? I was in Miami. My boss got a promotion to New York, and that led to me getting another an opportunity as well to move up to New York uh, to the Hudson Hotel in New York City, which, you know, 800 plus room hotel in the early 2000s was an incredibly successful place. It was the it spot, many layers of the business. And I got a shot to go up to New York to run uh, a couple bars. And it was a really quick jump outlet, essentially, to having multiple outlets and having influence in a much larger game from a financial perspective and team perspective, employee perspective, dealing with union employees, dealing with a hotel three times the size that I was accustomed to and being in New York City where there's a different expectation of service than coming down to Miami to have fun. That was a big jump up and that then led me on a one night phone call to get on a plane to fly out to Los Angeles to another one of the sister properties that had a incident happened where I had to go and live in the hotel for a couple months and help rebuild the team from scratch, which was, you know, morning, afternoon and night shift because it's a hotel and you've got a pool deck and you've got breakfast, lunch and dinner. And the first couple of years, it was a real whirlwind of a bunch of different properties from New York, LA, London, back to Miami, a series of openings in many different situations from openings to, to rebounds to restructures. I got a crash course in a lot of properties that all were in the same realm of design forward, food and beverage forward, very nightlife focused. And then I was able to you know, be with the company when it transitioned and started going a little bit more towards the guest experience as boutique hotels across the board had, it, had to elevate their programming to also be a hotel experience and not just about the restaurants and bars. And you touched on having to go to LA and building a team. And I think that sentence right there, building a team is something that a lot of people struggle with because it's hard in general, it's hard to build a good team and hire good people. But I think it's especially hard in hospitality to, to find good talent. Not that there isn't good talent. There's a lot of good talent, but how do you find or any tips for people listening on how to build a good team and how to find good talent? This is a business that's for certain people. 
and not for others. I think being brutally honest with somebody, what their expectation should be is something you need to share right from the get-go. This is a business where you have to have thick skin and a short memory, and you're put in pressured situations where you have people that may not treat you so nicely from a guest experience, let alone your teammates. And I think you need to be brutally honest with the expectations of what the project is first. And then I think you need to find somebody who is passionate about people and understanding that it is a people business. It is how you interact with other individuals. If you can't check your emotion at the door, it's a very difficult place or business to work in. Every time I walk into any place that I've ever worked, 20 yards outside that door, I take a deep breath and I said, nobody in there deserves the anything less than the best side of me. A positive, optimistic side where I'm supportive and lending a hand and I'm trying to do whatever I can to make the environment that day a, a, a pleasant one uh, for myself, my guests, and my coworkers. I think that you really have to have that separation of emotion. And then I always, whenever I've interviewed anybody, I like to hold up my hand and open up five fingers and show them my hands and ask them what this is. And most people say it's a stop sign. It's a wave. It's a halt. It's five fingers. But it's also... Most people identify the positive space, meaning the, the five fingers that I have in front of their face and the palm of my hand. When someone can say, you're blocking my view, I think that's really valuable because in identifying the negative space, the empty space, is a big thing in the hospitality industry. You have to see things before they happen. You have to see the empty space and how you can fill it. You have to identify the problem so you can have the solution before, before it becomes one. So I think people that are very observant, people that are very tolerant, people that love to be around people, and also just being brutally honest. I think the best teams that exist out there are the ones that can share their true feelings with each other, and they can really focus on their goals by honesty, transparency, and knowing if we don't get along today, like I'm cool with it to wake up and forget about it and move forward because we all have that same destination of success to get to. Thick skin and a short memory. Said. And how do you go about working on that work-life balance, knowing that hospitality is tough hours? It's typically late nights. How do you go about just managing that work-life balance? Because sometimes you know that line gets grayed out because you're just working really long hours and really late nights. For me, a 100-hour week was normal when I first started working, like that was pretty easy. <laughs> a 10 hour shift was not a big deal whatsoever, let alone a 12 hour shift was not a big deal either. I think that you have to start with good habits. I wish someone had told me from a very young age when I got into this business, set some rules, set some ground rules and set some goals to prevent yourself from getting into any bad habits. It's a very taxing job physically that can lead into then emotionally. And you really need to take the time to set some ground rules and some parameters. It's not very common today to hire somebody and ask them to work 12 hours a week and get 100% of them every single day. We have to be a lot more conscious about you know, how we spend our time and ask things of the people that we work with, let alone you know, most people don't want to put that time in today. So I think it's setting parameters, clear parameters. It's all about you know communication and expectations. You can't just say, hey, here's the task, go get it. You figure it out. No. Here's what we're going to do. Here's what it's going to take from you. I'm going to ask this much time of you. I think if I spoke to my 20-year-old self, I would say start great habits now.
get into certain rules that you're going to abide to and you're going to stick to and you're going to share with everybody. This is what I do. You know, I'm not slowing anything down, but I got to take my time to do X, Y, and Z. And that's going to help me be productive every day. Because if you're showing up and you're on fumes and you're not giving it your all, you might as well not be there. Anytime anyone right. I ever worked with was in the workplace and they were in a bad mood, sour, that they were spreading that just negativity, just don't show up. I'll pick up your section, get out of here and come back when you get that smile back on your face. It's important that if you are going to be working, you should be present, positive and contributing to the matter at hand. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think you nailed it. Like good vibes are contagious, but so are bad vibes. They're worse. They're 10 times worse. You can see the ship sinking in front of you. When somebody is not engaged, it just spreads everywhere. You just see the whole thing fall apart. And you work in a restaurant, bar, you know, anything and you, you can see it going down and it's just, it's not a pleasant, it's not a pleasant sight. Have you ever been in a position where you had to let go of someone, not because of their skills, maybe they were actually very good skill wise, but because of their attitude? 100%. Many times. The reason I ask is in the tech world, sometimes people think I got this amazing programmer. He's so good, but nobody on the team gets along with him. And I always tell people, my philosophy is, listen, nobody's good enough to be an asshole. You know what I mean? No matter how good someone is, it's if they're going to spread that negative energy everywhere, it's like, that's an important thing to consider because it affects the rest, of your team, uh, the rest of your team, excuse me. So yeah, I'm just curious when it comes to the hospitality side, how you manage that. You might find someone who's a machine when it comes to, I don't know, making drinks or being in the kitchen or whatever it is. But with that wrong attitude, how do you approach that? Clear expectations. You have to define roles and what people should be held accountable for. I've literally, the amount of people that I've had to, not the amount, it's not a tremendous amount of people, but the amount of people that I've had to let go, the percentage of them that literally wrote me an apology letter afterwards and called me or sat there in, in the meeting. And I said, you know what this is about? And they said, this is my fault. You, If you can expl explain expectations clear as day, A to Z, crystal, someone is going to know when they mess up. I have zero qualms about holding somebody accountable to what they should be held accountable for. So I've had really uh, a handful of times where I felt really horrible about letting somebody go because every time they were let go, it was deserved. So, right. you know, it's if, if you can be a great boss, if you can be a great leader to say, this is what it takes to be on this team. And if somebody breaks it, they should be held accountable. Otherwise, it's not a great team. If somebody's not doing their job, all right. Thank you for the time yeah. and effort, but it wasn't working here. Yeah. So, and so I'd love to just maybe get to where are you at today? What projects are you working on today for the ones that you could share? I don't know if there's any that you can. What are you working on today? What are you excited about? And then I'd love to maybe chat a little bit about the, the landscape, right? Like we're in a weird situation with these lockdowns going on. So I'd love to maybe chat a bit about that. But first, let's get into the fun stuff. What are you excited about? What are you working on? Angelo, every day is exciting. Every day is an adventure. Every day is what's going to happen today type situation for good or for bad. Because as you said, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty out there. I, I just spent, I should say I just spent because now I've been back in the States for the past seven months. But I, I was living abroad in Japan for two years and unexpectedly came back to the United States due to wonderful coronavirus that has just devastated so much about the hospitality industry. So came back with not a solid game plan because it happened so abruptly because I was invested in some projects overseas. But that being said, what am I engaged in today? I'm an investor and owner in a couple properties down here in Miami. I'm an investor in a property called Sweet Liberty, which is a cocktail bar here in Miami Beach that was created by the late, great John Lemaire. 
love him for eternity. And that's been a bar that's been open for five years that has received a bunch of great uh, accolades over the years, top 50 bars, best American bar, an amazing place. I'm just happy to have been able to have the opportunity to invest in from the beginning. Then while I was abroad, I was approached by old near dear friends, Lodz V and Gabe Orta, who are the founders of Bar Lab. They know them from places like Broken Shaker inside the Freehand Hotels between New York, Chicago, LA, and Miami. They got in touch with me while I was uh, overseas and asked me if I would become an investor in the new bar they're opening downtown, which is called Margo Natural Wine Bar, which was going to be really shockingly the first natural wine bar in the city of Miami which was nuts because all major cities across the States have natural wine bar places. And this was supposed to be the only one, but that was supposed to open uh, February, March in downtown. But obviously because of coronavirus, we had to make a pivot. So we found a pop-up location inside of uh, legendary Nikki beach, South of fifth in, in Miami. And we turned a negative into a positive and saw a blank canvas. And we created a space that was built for coronavirus. And that is existing right now, about 5,000 square feet on the sand, south of 5th, a natural wine bar, which we're really proud of. But we'll be opening the location downtown in, in February, March, in the process of other locations. And then I'm consulting on a couple other projects that really can't get into tons of details right now, but very excited about some really big, awesome stuff coming. And, and I'm also contributing to some online content for some videos for a hospitality-related program as well. I've done some stuff like you're doing right now, interviewing me. I've done to some others. So I'm involved with some of that as well. When, when you ask about what's coming, I'm all optimism. Like, I think this is such an incredible moment for the hospitality business because, you know, I think that blank canvases are gorgeous for beautiful artists. If you can take something and create something new, you're seeing, you're going to see, and you are seeing levels of creativity this industry is going to put out with such pride. Is it sad that some people aren't going to make it through? Yes, it's absolutely devastating. I've had many friends and colleagues suffer tremendous losses this past six seven months. Some people who won't rebound from it, some people who just are going to leave the industry entirely and find what makes them happy. And that is also a huge win because there's a lot of people that have found a new thing that they love to engage in and have found a new lifestyle and purpose, which you have to applaud. It's when someone says, so-and-so shut down, did you hear? What a travesty. You didn't ask. Maybe they chose to also find another thing that brought them greater joy. So you know, we have to stop living and this bulimic society where we let information get halfway down our throat and throw it back up without digesting and asking the right questions of why things happened and what they were for. So I think you're going to have this incredible moment of people really putting their head to the grind and saying, how do we make this work? Where's the opportunities? What can we create that's beautiful? What can we create that I'm passionate about? I think you're going to see more passion projects coming out than ever. I think that people are really going to double down. The ones who stayed in this business are going to say, I'm going to make this work. I'm going to figure this out. And I'm going to bring my 100% truth to this, my love to this. One thing I think that anyone can acknowledge, that when you walk into a venue, you can tell if someone loves it. You can feel that. You can walk into this gorgeous place, but if it feels cold and sterile, someone was hired to just put something together with other strangers and it looks pretty, but it may not have that soul and injection of warmth that when you walk into a place that somebody who does love it, you can feel it. I think that from a guest experience perspective, you're going to have such an incredible moment of a valued product, a great product that's been contemplated about, not rushed, thought of, and saying, how can this work? You're going to see guests having some amazing experiences. Maybe you won't have. Maybe in your neighborhood, there was 
30 restaurants within a walking distance. And maybe it's going to go down to 15. But those 15 right. people are going to pour their lives and heart into it. And I think that if you're acknowledging these efforts, you can have such an incredible guest experience. You can contribute to your experience. If you just know how to be a better guest these days, we've all sat at home for so long. And if you go in as a guest with an upbeat attitude and ask the right questions about somebody who's pouring their life into it, you're going to have such a great experience as a guest as well. Yeah, I would agree with you definitely. And I could imagine that there will probably be a certain explosion in creativity. I could definitely see that. I'm curious to get your thoughts on what things do you think maybe won't quote unquote go back to normal? So in other words, do you think there are habits or patterns that maybe people are getting used to now that maybe will stick around when things are again, quote unquote, fully back? Yeah. I mean, listen, like we've all had all these conversations a million times over these past couple of months. Like, I learned how to cook better. I learned how to bake bread. And like now I like grew my own garden. That is absolutely wonderful. And I think people are really more conscious of their consumption. They've taken the time to develop some skills. Uh, I think people have also realized, oh my God, like I ate out six times a week and that is crazy. Like I now just save myself so much money by just doing something I'd be right. passionate about at home. I think that you also have people who, I think this is like the golden age of luxury travel in my lifetime. I think that since the invention of the jet engine, you literally have this moment that if you have tremendous wealth, you have access to anything right now that most people don't. Before the jet engine, if I said to you, hey, Angelo, like I'm in Miami, I'm going to go to Australia. I'd be like, cool, I'll see you in eight days. And <laughs> now it's people can go and have these incredibly curated experiences because they have the, the means to do so. There's a couple things that I think will change. I think luxury travel is going to see an epic five years ahead. People who were wealthy before coronavirus are wealthier now. And to have this customizable experience is going to be a real thing. Give me option A, B, or C, expensive, more expensive, and I don't even care to look at the, the bill. And people just want to be held by the hand and say, you can have the most incredible thing you can ever have before. I think that's a real thing. I think that people who are conscious of their budgets, they're going to be a lot more aware and educated and discerning about the experiences they have because those dollars mean a lot more to them than they did before. So. I think that guests are going to be asking for an elevated experience and be valuing every dollar they spend and expect a great customer experience and a great quality product. I think business owners know that. If you're sticking in this business, we want to be able to meet all those needs. So I think that the quality product, the quality of product is going to, to rise. But I also think that Think about hospitality evaluation has changed. Hospitality also means how do we enter your house? How do we get direct to consumer? How do I build you the beverage package that you can bring home and make your own cocktails at home? How can you purchase my homemade lasagna from my restaurant and defrost it in your fridge twice a week instead of coming into the restaurant? So the hospitality yeah. experience has changed. It's, it's evolved to how can we meet the needs of our guests in our venues or in their own homes? It's a different moment. You have to really think outside the box of how to keep engaged customers, not just when they come and see you, but curiously right. reach out to them respectfully, get their attention and be grateful for their loyalty. You know, what hospitality means today, I would have spoken about very differently a year ago in terms of the expectation of how to engage with your guests and how to ask for their return and, and their loyalty. I think I can definitely 
connect thoughts a little more. I mean, this is just me. I think I can connect it a little more clearly when it comes to restaurant bars. Um, and maybe you can shed some light is seeing like a clearer picture for the event-based venues, whether it's, you know, an actual club or just, you know, straight up events. Any thoughts on like, how do you see, how do you see those, you know, kind of work in the near future? Coming back with fury, like coming back with pure fury. I think that people have very short memories, man. Mm -hmm. I, I remember the first flight I had to get on after September 11th. And I was like, this sucks. I was like, this, I had to get to the airport four hours ahead of time. I went through three security checks. Like, what the hell? Like, they looked through everything. Like, I got my little scissors to clip my nose hairs taken away from me. Like, what's going on? Yes, I'm hairy. So, and it sucked. But the second time, I was like, all right, that's the way I fly now. That's the reality of the world. As quickly as this entered our lives, it's going to as quickly. And that's just a reality. I know people may disagree with what I'm saying, but when you tear the bandaid off and scab doesn't come back again, you're just going to run back into it. I live in Miami and I know not just a couple, but thousands of people that go out here every single night without a mask and they're in packed small venues. Some people simply don't care. The Everyone, I will never be a judge to how you want to live your life. Everyone has the rights to do the same. And when it comes to big events, the moment the first cruise ship is able to be boarded, I'm going to guarantee you it's packed. The first concert that is open, I'm going to guarantee you it's going to be packed. And that nightclub that can fit 10,000 people, it's going to be packed because there are people that simply made the decision, okay, don't judge me. And if you do, I'm still going to do what I want to do. I'm going to live my life. And as we now are approaching vaccine after vaccine and people are realizing how to live with this differently, the future of events is going to be absolutely insane. Nightclubs are going to literally completely be packed and festivals will be packed. Now, personally, I'm not dining indoors. I'm not meeting in enclosed spaces. That's just me because I want to hang out with my mom and I want to see my new baby, my, my sister's new new daughter, and she's a week old. And I want to be responsible for how I think responsible is. I do think that we live in a very divided country on how people evaluate this. And I think coronavirus has done a phenomenal job of showing countries true colors on how people handle situations. So for me, I'm, a, I'm an individual that I want to be respectful for the, the common good and I want to play my part, what I think is my part. And uh, But I think the event space and the concert space and everything, you open those doors, it's going to be full. And that's people, It's it, they have Corona drain. People have been doing everything that they can. And uh, again, I'm not one to judge. I'm just, this is my opinion that I think that if you opened a huge, amazing concert with an insane lineup or subpar, people want to feel the energy of other human beings. People miss hugs and kisses and smiles and the pulse of a crowd and the consistent nod of a head across the scope of a, an arena. And but it's, it sucks for a lot of people who feel that's not the right thing to do. I think this also goes back to the threat of hospitality. You can't make everybody happy. Uh, you just hope that people are safe and respectful when they are in areas where they should be abiding. And I'm a big supporter of if you're supposed to be social distancing, you should be doing it.
Awesome. We, that's a lot of insight. I think our listeners are really going to take that in and, and really dissect a lot of the, the experiences you just shared. I think it makes a ton of sense, especially what you said about the cruise lines. Like it just, for some reason, when you said it, I was smiling just because I was thinking he's right. Like I could definitely see the first cruise that comes back being packed. So there, there's a lot of truth. It's not, I'm not making any political statements. I just think that you have no, to, no, no, I'm not. You, yeah. You have to remember that people have incredibly short memories. There are legitimately not a small percentage there is a massive percentage of people that don't care about this thing let me say that again they don't care about this it's slowed their life down and their joy and they'll be the first one proclaim i don't care about you corona and they'll be the first ones through the door now will everyone feel comfortable no i won't feel comfortable right but there is enough people and especially when we talk about hospitality we're talking about nightlife programming perspective, younger people who, unless they were personally affected by this, they don't respect it. So they want to run into the flame like a moth to a light. They want to go in and say, it doesn't matter to me. I'm going to live my life and I'm surrounded by other people. If take off your mask in here, it doesn't matter to me. We're all on the same page. So people seek comfort in numbers. So you get a bunch of people not caring. They're a strong unit and they're going to keep on doing yeah. what they want. Yeah, I hear you. We love to end off the uh, segment at Whisking It All with last day on earth. So this is your last on earth. What would be your go-to meal, food that you're going to eat, and drink that you have to have? So you're asking me what I did for the first like two months of coronavirus because that's how I felt. <laughs> last day on earth. What would, what, what, tell me again. It was what would I, what would I eat? Yeah, now? what would be your go-to meal and go-to drink? Like last day on earth, you're asking for a meal and a drink. It could be anything, any alcoholic type drink. Or it doesn't have to be alcoholic, but really just what would be your go-to meal and drink? This is your last day on earth and you can choose a meal and drink. Cooking. That's one thing that I think it would be awesome to use my hands and I'm eating with my hands also. I'm not using a fork or a knife. I'm going to be primal. <laughs> if I'm going out, I'm going to be the animal that I am. I think that anything that you cook tastes better. And hopefully it's going to be surrounded with ones I love that will contribute to me. So I would like my last day on earth to be surrounded by my loved ones that we all share a communal meal together, that each person plays their part. And we know we all made it together, so it's going to be tasting wonderful together. I don't need to say a specific thing because I think it's the company that is going to make it delicious. And from a beverage perspective, I'm going to have to go with a Mezcal Negroni as a cocktail because it's a cocktail that's been near and dear to my heart for many years. And then I'm probably going to have some wonderful red wine on the table. I'm a big fan of Carmenere, a very underappreciated grape that is easy to consume and you can have lots of it because it's my last day on earth. I'm going to stuff my belly and I'm going to enjoy some great wine and I'm going to be loving the company I keep and it'll be a wonderful meal. And uh, Angela, you're invited and I hope that last day on earth is not soon, but we should still do that anyway sometime soon. Cheers to that. Cheers to that. Josh, thanks so much for being on this episode of Whisking It All. It was a real pleasure to have you on the show. I appreciate it greatly. And optimism in the future of hospitality. There's great things to come. And for those who really want to be able to live a life that is part of their lifestyle, like a career and a life together, the hospitality is a great thing. If not, maybe you should look in a different direction. Fair enough. It's good talking to you, Josh. Thanks. We'll talk soon. Take care.